millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the World in Sport. I'm Vinnie Wiley. This week, Fiji's Pacific Games team is short of funds. Tonga's rugby coach is forced to change his squad. And Manu Samoa name a new captain in time for next week's test against the All Blacks. But first, Saturday marks the opening ceremony of the Pacific Games in Papua New Guinea. And the Games Council says despite some early hiccups, the country will be ready. The Games were awarded six years ago and at one stage construction and planning was two years behind schedule. The Executive Director of the Pacific Games Council, Andrew Minogue, says since the current government came to power three years ago, progress has been fast-tracked and everything now appears ready to go. It has been a six-year journey for Papua New Guinea that's coming close to fruition now. We've, we've had a really good program of the venues being tested over the last few weekends and teams are arriving imminently in Port Moresby. So I think all, it, all that's uh, required now is for us to wait for July the 4th and, and the big opening ceremony. It's looking like being a, a fantastic occasion. Prince Andrew from the Royal Family is coming out. He opened the Games in 1991 and PNG last hosted and he's going to do that again which um, has gone down really well throughout the Pacific and in PNG particularly. There's obviously always, you know, the odd hiccup and nothing's ever finished eight months out. You know, I guess there are maybe, as has been described by yourself and some others, a few licks of paint that maybe won't be there, but uh, it seems like pretty much everything's going to be there come kickoff. That's right. Um, and the Pacific Games Council's got no issues whatsoever with the fact that some of the venues might need, you know, the lick of paint, as you said, or, or some finishing works to, to happen after after the games. I mean, that's normal anyway in any games environment. A lot of venues get sort of transformed after the games. I think from the Pacific Games Council's perspective, the real sea change, I think, came in 2012. PNG got the games in 2009. First couple of years, we didn't see a lot of activity. The government in power now came to office in 2012 and they made a number of very key appointments. Probably the key one for us was Costas Constantino being put in charge of the Games Authority, which is responsible for overseeing you know, the Games in its entirety from the venues program right through to the organising and staging of the event. And I think from that moment onwards, we had a sense of confidence that things could get to this point where we were ready for the Games in a few days' time. It's been a, it's been a close-run thing, of course, and a lot of the venues are only just coming on stream now. But I think over the last three years, we've, we've grown increasingly confident that we get to this point and PNG is to be commended they've just now got to do this uh, the, the, the really hard bit which is actually staging a, a really successful event and we've got every confidence that they will so from this point onwards once it kicks off is it pretty much just I guess you know the bread and butter is it uh, you know obviously the, yeah. the, the transport the accommodation the athletes are there the fans are there and hoping yeah. and, and you know checking making sure everything runs smoothly yeah that's right and in fact you know the fact that they've done some test events over the last few weekends they've tested the really big venues to John Guy's Stadium for Athletics and the Rugby Codes they've tested that two weekends back and then last weekend the Aquatic Centre and the Indoor Centre which is attached to it that's going to obviously have the swimming and some of the indoor sports like basketball and volleyball 
volleyball, testing the transport, the catering, the venue security, volunteers, people moving in and out. Uh, we're very confident that they'll have that right for when the games start. And then what we all look forward to when the games actually commence, those sort of processes are usually running smoothly by the time the games actually start. And the thing that we really do look forward to as games organisers and event owners is you actually hand the event over at that point to the sports themselves. They know what to do. The, the officials, the referees, the judges, the umpires, the athletes, they, they do what they do best, which is running their competitions. And of course there are some new factors into this Games. We've got New Zealand and Australia competing for the first time. I spoke with Australia, yeah. I think, a month or more ago, um, and they're all yeah. very excited about coming in, of course, and I guess that will add a new dimension to the event. I think from two perspectives. I think one is simply the fact that Australia and New Zealand are you know, they are a part of the Oceania slash Pacific region and they do want to interact with their Pacific brothers and sisters in sport. So I think that's a very important component to what will be happening in Port Moresby. But the other equally important component for the athletes themselves in these sports where they're competing is that there's some real incentives on the line. You know, there's qualifications for the Rio Olympic Games in weightlifting and in football, soccer, where the New Zealand men's team are coming. Taekwondo, there's going to be some rankings points attached to the Pacific Games, which can get the best athletes a step closer to qualifying for Rio. So both from the from the goodwill, the cultural, the, the integration side of things, but also in the actual raw competition side for the athletes, having Australia and New Zealand there is, is very important. Is there anything, be it minor or not, Andrew, that, that keeps perhaps one of your eyelids open at night? Well, there's always things that keep you awake at night in, in these sort of games. I mean, we're talking about looking after 3,000 athletes, over 1,000 team officials and VIPs. We've got 28 sports. We've got, you know, it's a big program of activity that's happening in Port Moresby. I think the venues were keeping some eyes open, but I think that's, I think we've got that under control now. But I, I think it's, I think it's just now making sure that the teams understand the processes in, in PNG. I mean, people talk a lot about security. They talk a lot about you know, the public health aspects to being in Port Moresby. The fact is that the organising committee have got very, very good plans for those those issues and I think it's just making sure that the chef emissions understand them. I think they do. They, As I said, they're in Port Moresby in March. Get those messages out to the athletes and officials in their teams both before they travel and when they arrive and we'll end up having a, a safe and healthy Games. The Executive Director of the Pacific Games Council, Andrew Minogue. The first Pacific Games events get underway on Friday morning in Port Moresby with basketball, touch rugby, table tennis and football all in action. Most of the athletes are now in or en route to PNG, although it hasn't been plain sailing for everyone. Tuvalu's delegation finally left the capital, Funafuti, on Tuesday after inclement weather delayed their departure by two days. The squad of 113 athletes and officials will spend three days travelling by boat to Fiji from where they will catch a charter flight to Port Moresby. Meanwhile, Team Fiji is facing a shortfall of close to $100,000 days out from the start of the Games. The Chief Executive Officer of Fiji's Olympic Committee, Lorraine Ma, says it costs $2.2 million Fiji dollars to send the country's athletes and officials to Papua New Guinea, and the government's contribution is less than what they'd been hoping for. The way we fund Team Fiji's participation to any Games is actually we share this cost three ways. While a third uh, by government, a third by the national federations who are participating, and a third by Fasanok. For the participation budget to Papua New Guinea, I mean, we have a team size of 453, roughly $2.2 million 
uh, in cost to get the team over there. So government share of that 2.2 million was around about 700,000. So government came up with $600,000 in cash, and that left a shortfall of 100,000. And so that's where we proposed to them that if they waive the departure tax for us, which is roughly 97,000, then that would cover their one-third share of the cost. You paid your one-third as the national body. Uh, the federations paid their one-third, and effectively the government hasn't quite come to the party completely with their one-third. That's right, that's right. So when did you find that out, and have they given you a reason as to why they are $100,000 short? The government doesn't always come up with its one-third, unfortunately. In this case, initially, they only gave us $300,000, and we actually then um, appealed to them based on the budget that was set and our original application. So then they came back with another 300000 and they said that, unfortunately, that's all they had. That's when we came up with this proposal to them. So you're in discussions now, hopefully, about them uh, waiving this departure tax. I guess it's kind of a, a passive loss of money for them, isn't it? Because if they do agree to that, whilst they would obviously lose that revenue, it's technically money they don't have as of right now. That's right. We did make a point that we were travelling by chartered flights. So really, the departure tax for these charter flights wouldn't have been in the original budget in the first place because they wouldn't have known that there would be this charter flight. And if the government says that they aren't able to waive the departure tax, uh, where does that money come from? We'd have to find that money somehow. Would you have to pay it before you leave, or would there be flexibility about when the actual payment would have to be made? No, we'd have to pay it before we left. Could that potentially be a huge issue in terms of getting people on the planes and 2 PNG? No, 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 no. As the organisation responsible for sending the games, we would just have to make sure that we pay that money before we left. So you can find it from another place, but if you had to do that, it would be taking it from something else, which that's is obviously right. what you don't want to do. Yes, that's right, that's right. And uh, when, when do you hope, Lorraine, to, to get an answer from the government on that? Well, any day now, any day now. We're just waiting. We had the meetings, we put the proposal in the submission, and it's a matter of waiting. That's the CEO of the Fiji Olympic Committee, Lorraine Ma. Tonga's rugby coach Mana Otai says he was forced to change his squad for the Pacific Nations Cup because some players were pressured by their club teams to make themselves unavailable. 31 players were selected in the Ikaletahi squad, including five new caps. Otai says some players pulled out after speaking with their clubs, although he's still happy with the team he's chosen. Since I started, this is the first time I've actually um, sort of called on a very strong, experienced side to the Pacific Nations Cup. Prior to that, there's always been development. It's, it's always about looking deep and, and building our depth. I guess we are very fortunate in that regard that we have the, the talent and experience with these young guys as well. And I look at it as also an opportunity to blood them in together with all the experienced guys. I'd rather appreciate we them that way. You know, there's uh, a lot of uh, contractual issues with a lot of players who are not available and being pressured by their clubs not to be available for time in terms of, um, you know, while the World Cup is on, and especially more so in France. Yeah, I could remember right now, I think there's three leagues that I, I had picked originally, but they have, um, you know, withdrawn late regarding um, contractual pressure from their clubs not to play. And, you know, understandably, uh, if I couldn't provide them the same security financially, their first priority is to look after their welfare and their families. And But um, as I mentioned before, uh, it is someone else's opportunity to step on board. Sometimes they do have a job, but it, it just makes life awkward for them, knowing that these guys, this is their livelihood. At times I've got to step outside our box and, and look at it from where they are. It, it's A lot of those clubs are businesses. 
So, you know, you you got to look after number one, and, and rightfully so, some of them. But in the, the fairness of the game and what the World Rugby is striving to, you know, to, to make the game a popular game, and if it is a World Cup here, I think it's only fair that we make all the players available. It comes around every four years. All players that are eligible and available for, for a certain country uh, should be made available and shouldn't be under pressure to come all and perform. But then, you know, we, we have to, I guess, control the controllables on our side and look at financial help uh, should those situations arise in the future. So so you mentioned three players. Is it is it just three players in total that you would like to pick that you can't pick? I mean, obviously injuries are another oh, uh, thing again, oh, or are there um, more? You know, there's a one player who's um, injured. There's a, uh, another player who's sort of firmly circumstances. I mean, it varies. I knew uh, about those earlier on. Uh, the guys that I've actually, they, they declare available and selected. And when I sort of went back and, and I guess when we send regulation nines to their respective unions, and then that's when the pressure come in. So the players rung up and say, look, <laughs> you know, at the moment it, it's not looking good. On the front, they say, okay, but, you know, we know that they are not happy. So, you know, what do you do? You've got 31 names, obviously, that you have named, uh, and the World Cup is, of course, only a few months away now, and there's only a handful of test matches before that point. Is there a, aside from anyone being ruled out through injury, is there a chance for players outside of this squad to still force their way into the World Cup team? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is just the first phase of building towards the World Cup. I know there is about four players at the moment. They're almost, I can say, it's definite guarantee but you know everything is subject to form and performance and you know so they do have an outside chance but we have about 70 players altogether in the extended squad originally so all of those guys still have the same chance you know I can only pick 31 at this stage and I want him have a limited number of tests to you know to experiment with some a lot of the guys outside this group I've already have them in in the last two and a half years so really, I, I know about what they can offer. These are the newbies that haven't been in our environment. And, and there are outside players whom they've expressed interest as well, which I haven't had before. Or, you know, we're working with them at the moment. So there's still some guys that are eligible for Tonga that have to make that decision whether they commit to Tonga. And if that's the case, they could potentially be uh, a part of the squad. Absolutely, yes. I, I think you would easily look at about 10 to 12 players in, in that category that... Uh, also, Super 15 players. You know, I think it, it, in our current squad we only have one, but there are potentially about 15 from Super 15 levels that are depending on where they go. But there are other factors and variables that we have to take into consideration if they do come available. The idea of, of Pacific Nations Cup is to also familiarise them and, and get used to each other. For example, I mean, I would say some of the Australian guys, um, you know, you, you look at the Rebels. We got Lope Titimani there. We got Itavaya at the Wallabies, at the Brumbies, I mean, you know. So there's, there's a few guys, uh, as an example, that we don't know what their fate is at this stage. But then whenever they're not selected, I, I do make sure that I, I try and approach them. And uh, some have indicated in the past that, you know, they're not interested. But then when things starting to change, they, they sort of turn around and say, oh, maybe we should make ourselves available. So I've always opened that door for that possibility as well. That's the Tonga rugby coach, Mana Otai. <laughs> Officer Trevor Anus has been named as captain of Manu Samoa ahead of next week's historic test against the All Blacks in Apia. The 31-year-old London Irish back rower replaces injured wing David Lemmy. 
James Johnson, George PC and Faifili Levavi have also been ruled out through injury, while Ray Lilo is unavailable because of his involvement in this weekend's Super Rugby final. Veteran prop Census Johnston was a shock recall in Manu Samo's 27-strong squad for the test, less than three months after announcing his international retirement, amid suggestions he was pressured by his club. Samoa A midfielder Faelanga Afamasanga is the only local-based player and one of two new caps along with Chiefs utility back Tim Nanai-Williams. The Samoa Rugby Union chair and Prime Minister Tuilepa Salele Malialinga-Oi called on the team to win for the heart of all Samoans. All the players will no doubt have already received similar words of wisdom from your families, friends, as well as just about from everyone you hang around long enough to listen to on the streets of Apia and expect more to come. I guess the players will have to forgive us and our people for our enthusiasm. The message being conveyed in different ways is the same. Do your utmost. Play strong, play smart and win. Samoa's match day squad of 23 will be announced on Monday. And the Papua New Guinea Hunters have climbed to second in the Queensland Cup Rugby League standings after extending their winning run to nine matches. Captain Israel Aliab bagged four tries as the Hunters thumped Central Queensland Capras 68 points to four in Kokopo. The Hunters have a bye next weekend, during which 13 members of their squad and head coach Michael Marum will be involved in the Papua New Guinea team, competing in the Rugby League Nines competition at the Pacific Games. And that's the World in Sport for this week. I'm Vinnie Wiley. Thanks very much for listening. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.